Wine You. Hello, folks, and welcome to Wine You Wish Upon a Star, where two grown-up humans talk about Disney movies, animated ones, while drinking wine. <laughs> Perfect. I'm your host, Brenna Peo. I'm your other host, Joe Peo, and today we are finally, finally through all the muck and mire of the '80s. We're into 1991, and we are at. The beginning of a fantastic streak of films, starting with Beauty and the Beast. I feel like I was in the dark forest, and I like finally found my way out of the dark forest, and I'm like, oh, good movies again. I wouldn't even say forest. Like I, I, I see what you're doing with the metaphor, and I'd go further and say swamp, like a two foot deep swamp, because everything felt like it was a slog that we were trudging through and forcing our way through really deep, sticky mud. But now we're riding high on a dream. I'm in a prayer. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert! I think this is my favorite movie that we've watched so far for this podcast. I adored it so much from start to finish. I'm not sure if it's a spoiler if you just talk about the thing we're actually talking about right now. Yeah, but it's like it's like the lasting impressions. But I just started right off the bat with that, so I'm a little out of order. So our lasting impressions is that it was fantastic. Ten out of ten. Yeah, I loved it. I, I think know, this me is, too. I think every Disney movie to come after it aspires to be at this level. So during our movie watching and podcasting process, we usually drink two bottles of wine, one during the movie, one while we're podcasting, and we'll usually theme the first one to the movie. Today, we were so excited that we themed both of them to the movie. Absolutely right. See, the movie starts off with an enchanted rose, so we had to start off with an enchanting rosé. From Kiami Vineyards, it's uh, from the Adelaide District in Paso, and it's 100% Grenache. It's the 2019 Kiami Rosé, and it is refreshing and delightful. It is the best rosé I've ever had. We always forget how amazing the bottle is and how easily you can drink rosé, and we went through the bottle in like two seconds. Uh, no joke, we watched the first two minutes, we had to pause for something, and we ended up finishing an entire glass. <laughs> So after that bottle, we opened up another beautiful bottle from Kiami called Unlocked. It's a 2017 red blend because Belle becomes unlocked. She is broken free from her prison cell. And from her boring life. Her provincial life, as you might say. She was also unlocked from marrying Gaston. I don't know if she was so much locked to that. I mean, she definitely was able to be like, no, nah, I'm out of here. I'm going to go uh, Sound of Music this. Until he locked up her dad. There's a lot of locking and unlocking going on here. <laughs> so this whole movie starts with a wicked witch. Nope, not this one. Well, yeah. Who's the wicked witch? The witch that turns everybody into a beast oh, and, like, okay. appliances. For some reason, I thought you meant, like, I was imagining, like, Belle coming out of her, of her home and you're just like, this wicked witch walks into town and everyone hates her. <laughs> Okay, yes, you mean the the prologue with the stained glass windows. <laughs> no, now I want that take on the movie. So Belle is this rude girl who rolls into this wonderful town and calls it provincial and boring. And there's a nice man who just wants to give her a loving home. He sees her inner beauty and he he says, Guess what? I don't care what you all think. I'm going to I'm going to make her my wife. And everyone says, You're really weird for thinking that and he says, I don't care. And she throws him in the mud and then gets him killed by a bear. Yeah, she gets locked up. She returns and says, there's a beast living on the hill. And he rallies everyone together and says, 
I'm going to rid the, the world of this menace. He almost does. He shoots it and stabs it. It still throws him off a cliff to his death. Yeah. So, I mean, that's really the point of... It's this really, really tragic story of Gaston the hero falling to his death. I mean, he's clearly the heroine of this story. I, I I gotta admit, watching it this time, though, I liked Gaston a lot more than I did in the past. Like, he used to seem to me like a mustache-twirling villain. He's a really complicated guy, and I want to know more about him. <laughs> I want to know where he came from. And first off, I want to know about his dietary habits. Oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, we start with the actual Wicked Witch posing as a beggar lady... It's this, this beautiful, beautiful prologue that starts off with this multiplane shot. There's no book. It's like really gorgeous. You can see that Disney's really going back to its roots of like the old princess classics because it's just absolutely gorgeous. And there's this narration. Guess who does the narration? Peter. Peter? Peter who? Pan? Bartholomew. Bartholomew, the, the rat that was eaten by Felicia? <laughs> Jeremy. Baramy. The narration was done by David Odgen Styers, who actually was the voice of Cogsworth. But he does this whole narration in the beginning that almost sounds like Patrick Stewart. It's so stately. But then he also does Cogsworth, and so he gets to like do his silly side, too. Oh, so a vocal artist that changed his voice for different roles? Two roles in the same movie, both vastly different. This man has changed the game. I met him once. He's a really nice guy. How? Uh, I used to do this uh, thing with my high school choir called the Candlelight Carol. So every year at Christmas, we would audition to be part of this mega choir of all these choirs assembled together. And we would sing uh, this concert uh, for Christmas at Disneyland. And uh, we always had a celebrity narrator, the narrator who like walks through the whole like nativity story. And the first year I did it, it was, I think, John Tesh. And then there was another year it was John Stamos. But then one year, it was David Ogden Styers, and I got to, like, give him a high five right before I went on stage, and he gave me a big thumbs up, too. You are fanboying so hard over this movie. <laughs> I can't even... I've never seen you fanboy this hard over a movie. I really enjoyed it. You, like, talked along to it. You were, like, singing along to all the songs. Mm-hmm. I was like, do you want me to step out? Do you need a moment with this movie alone? I hardly wrote any notes because I memorized so many parts of this beat for beat. I did find some new new uh, details this time, though. Ooh, like when they start showing the castle, there's all these creepy faces around the castle. I pointed it out to you, and you got you kind of got the willies. Well, I never noticed that before. Why does everything have faces everywhere? Well, I can tell you why. Why? Why? It's I, I think it's a throwback to the original, I think it's a silent film version of it from, I want to say, the 30s. It was a French film by Jean Cocteau, and it was Beauty and the Beast, although it was like the French, like Belle et le Bat or something. And the way that they did the uh, the effects on it is that they actually had faces encased in the walls, like human faces that were like painted to look like the wall. And so when Belle was walking by, you know, when she first goes into the castle, they like open their eyes and like watch her. And then they have like all these like candelabras that are like human hands actually holding candles. And it's not just like statues, like they are actual human hands. And so I think they were kind of drawing on that. But it's, it is spooky. That's a no from me, Doug. <laughs> so we're all supposed to like be like, oh, yeah, this witch is teaching this ungrateful prince a lesson. Okay. I'd like to point out this like prince is kind of a jerk. Okay. He's like too rich for his own good. He never had to work for anything right. 
here's the flip side. You're in your nice house. This old hag woman rolls up and is like, give me money for this old rose. And you're like, no, please leave. Like if an old hag woman showed up here, I'd be like, get off my porch. And then she turns everyone into appliances, not just punishing the prince for her perceived slight, but she turns everyone around him into appliances. What a jerk. Yeah, they're all responsibles. Like the servants, even the servants' children. Can you imagine like you're going about your life and then all of a sudden, boom, you're a spoon. <laughs> like rude. Because my boss de- definitely just told somebody to step off his property. Now I'm a spoon. Boom. Spoon. Boon spoon. Boom spoon. <laughs> spoon. Now we meet our next Wicked Witch. I mean, Disney princess. And it is Belle. She's going to town. Why is she even going? To t- is it just to to get a new book? Is just that the only reason? Just to switch out her book, yeah. Yeah. But here's my question. Do you think that townspeople just talk about her constantly? Like, is that just a daily thing? Because she was clearly in town yesterday. Because he's like, oh, you just finished this book overnight? And she's like, yeah. So, like, do you think they talk about her every day constantly? I mean, it certainly seems like it in the storytelling of it. You know, they it's showing she doesn't fit in. Although they are the entire time saying, like, but she's absolutely pretty and she's absolutely gorgeous and that's okay. But she's so weird, isn't she? Like, look at her reading. She's so odd. But, like, that's the only weird thing about her. She doesn't, like, you know, wear a boot on her head or anything. Like, she just looks like a normal person who reads. Yeah, she in no way doesn't stick out. And she says hi to everybody, and she asks people about their lives. Like, I, I don't understand. They're like, and she's so odd. She just asked, how's your wife? Like, I don't get it. <laughs> During that song is our first glimpse of Gaston, where he's like, I'm going to marry you. And she's like, no, thank you, bae. And that's also where we get foreshadowing of the entire movie, because she's, like, singing the part about how she's like, oh, this is my favorite part in that book that the bookkeeper gave her. And she's like, this is where she meets the prince, but she doesn't know it till chapter three. And it's like, oh, you're going to meet the prince, but you won't know it till chapter 12. Yeah. I definitely remember this part, but I totally forgot that she's not singing this to a person. She's singing it to sheep because they're the only people that will listen to her actually explain why she loves books. <laughs> so you could say you are the only one that would listen to her. Okay. All right. You. All right. I got it. You see. (laughs) When uh, Gaston is talking to her and he's he's explaining like, "Ah, women shouldn't be reading. Like, that's a dangerous thing. They're going to have ideas. And that's so odd. And he picks up her book and he's just like, there's not even any pictures in this. What's wrong with you? This is where I start to get really kind of interested in Gaston because Gaston, I think he's a lot more knowledgeable than he lets on. He uses like terms and vocabulary that an illiterate man should not be aware of but he really does and like later on in his song he uses the word expectorating do you know what expectorating means spitting because they're talking about how he spits better than anyone and he says he's exceptional at expectorating that is not an illiterate man well and he quotes shakespeare later yeah at the end he says screw your courage to the sticking point and that's from the scottish play he reads shakespeare (laughs) Anyway, he's pretending he doesn't read, and I, I just don't understand what he's, what he really wants. I don't think he really wants Bella as his wife. I think he just thinks he needs to want Bella as his wife. Why? Because I think he likes boys. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. I mean, he, he says, 
he even tells everybody like she's the most beautiful person and that's why i want to marry her when the three girls who are like fawning after him are like carbon copies of Belle, but with blonde hair but they look exactly like her so he could have his pick and they're just like fawning over him but he's like no i want the one that doesn't want me so pretty quickly into the movie Belle's dad gets lost in the woods gets attacked by wolves ends up at the castle meets the enchanted castle people for the first time and I love how when he meets them, his first instinct is to try to find out how they work because he's an inventor. I thought that was a really cool touch that I'd never noticed before because he's like looking at the clock and he's like opening the doors. and He's like, now let's see, how does this, what do you do here? Because he just, he's like trying to learn so that he could do it himself. Yeah, he immediately opens up Cogsworth, (laughs) which like, if you think about it, is a little bit dirty. Like he opens (laughs) him up and then like wiggles around in him and Cogsworth like, I would appreciate if you did not do that. But it's just funny because he just thinks they're all robots. So everybody's really nice to him. And then he sits in the beast chair and then the beast's like, get out of my chair, old man. And then he's like, you shouldn't have come here. And then he picks him up and throws him in the dungeon. I like how he's like, I'm just looking for a place to stay. And he's like, I'll give you a place to stay. And he does. He literally gives him a place to stay. (laughs) You could say he's not a liar. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I think in the scene, the... Because it's all menacing, you might think that he means, like, you're going to stay in my belly because I'm going to eat you. But he just, he gives him, a, a like, a bed. The horse that he was riding. Philippe. Philippe, which is also, like, the same name as the prince from Sleeping Beauty. He uh, makes his way back to Belle's house. And Belle's just like, where's Papa? And he's just like, let's go find him. So she goes after him. Obvi, she finds him immediately finds him in the dungeon and is like, "Uh uh-oh, and the beast is like, Beppo, like... Beppo? She's like, "Uh uh-oh, he's like, Beppo. Is that that how that went? She just goes, "Uh uh-oh, and he looks at her and is like, (laughs) Beppo. Well, he's sort of like, gotcha, and then she's like, I'll trade you me for him, and the beast was like, all right, fair trade, and throws out the dad, but it's actually kind of like a rough scene because, like, he does, he throws out the dad, and she's like, I didn't get to say goodbye, like... And it is kind of a thing where you're like, oh, my gosh. Like, And she says it, like, multiple times. And he, like, you see the Beast actually feels a little bad about it. Then he's like, already made my choice. Like, and then he, and then because he starts to feel bad, he's like, I'll take you to your room. And she had already, like, started to, like, get comfortable in the dungeon. And then she's like, my room? And he's like, do you want to sleep here? She's like, no. (laughs) It's a really interesting thing because you've just seen her interact with Gaston, who is just like, like macho and uh, like you know aggressive in just kind of saying like you're going to marry me and this is what's going to happen but it's more of like an um, like an emotional aggression but then it goes from that to the beast whose physical aggression he is like grabbing people throwing them throwing objects which very well could be like his servants that are now tables and like destroying things just like and he just comes in through like a, like a tornado and it's like this is the this is the guy that she's going to fall in love with So she already decides she's staying forever. Prior to that, we forgot to mention, Gaston had set up an entire wedding in her front yard. Oh, yeah. We we definitely breezed past that. Like, I gotta say, something about Belle, she is oblivious. Yeah, like, there's, there's even, like, a band practicing over and over and over again. There's, like, groups of people. People are, like, yelling and shouting, like, come over here, bring the decorations here. And she's just like, 
where's Papa? There's like a hundred, no, not even like before the where's Papa. She's like in her house, like cleaning up or like reading or something. And there's like 300 people setting up a wedding on her lawn. (laughs) And she doesn't hear like any of it until Gaston rings the doorbell. And then he's like, hi, I'm coming in. Also, congratulations, here's your wedding. And she's like, I like when she kicks him out and like knocks him into like the mud and only like his butt is sticking out he because of his like wedding coattails they're like red and they have gold buttons on them it looks kind of like mickey's butt pointing like sticking up out of the water it looks like mickey pants i don't know if that was intentional seems like it it was a hidden mickey it was the hidden mickey the mickey that was face down in the mud (laughs) mr (laughs) mick (laughs) mouse so that at that point that's when she runs off to find her dad. So, but anyway. We break all the tension from this family being torn asunder with the tavern scene where Gaston is just like, why would she insult me like that? And so, of course, his best friend, Le Fou, says like, let me cheer you up because you're the greatest guy. And we get the Gaston song. And this is that, that part where it's like, he his vocabulary is just so complex. And it's like, he's... He's really not as dumb as he seems. You know what else is complex? What is? His dietary needs. Oh, yeah. So let's go over the eggs. He talks about how he eats. He used to eat four dozen eggs when he was young. When he's a child. And now he eats five dozen eggs every so, day. So Brenna did some five dozen cursory eggs. Googling. That is 60 eggs. 60 eggs. Okay. Each egg is roughly 70 calories. 70 calories, okay. So if we do 60 times times 70, that is 4,200 calories worth of eggs. 4,200. And the daily recommended is? Well, for calories? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you're working out a lot, it could be like above Mm 2,000, maybe 3,000. But like like for me, as like a 30-year-old female, I'm like 1,500. Mm Mm-hmm. But like 4,200 just for breakfast. For one meal. And even in the song, he, while the song is going, he like eats a dozen more eggs. So like he just juggles them and throws them like right down his throat. Okay, so that Shell day and all. he had six dozen eggs. Mm-hmm. And here's where Gaston needs to go talk to his doctor. The cholesterol in one egg is roughly 370 milligrams. Okay. Already... Based online, it said different things versus, like, what the recommended cholesterol levels were. But, like, a lot of them settled on around 300 milligrams. So, technically, already, like, one egg is too many. Mm -hmm. But 60 eggs (laughs) is 22,200 milligrams of cholesterol. He is going to die at any second. Like, the man's arteries are probably, like real clogged up right now so maybe the beast just put him out of his misery from like a major corollary he would have had a heart attack any one of these days like it's amazing he could get so riled up and not just drop dead well let's see maybe that's the reason why he wants to be such an accomplished person because he knows he's like bound for an early grave (laughs) he's bound for an egg grave (laughs) an egg grave an egg-shaped grave and this has been egg you peer upon the screen (laughs) And this has been... Oh, oh my. She just had a heart attack for the sake of a podcast gag. I'm back. And she's back. Fighting the eggs. 
She swallowed the heart attack down just like Radigan in the Great Mouse Detective. The eggs are winning. <laughs> Don't. Okay. Bye. Oh. Dang it. I like that one. Ta-da! Another amazing use of my Foley artistry. That was frightening, especially the part where you fell on the ground and your eyes became X's and your tongue was sticking out, meaning See, that you're dead. That's how you know I was dead. Anyway, during egg time, Papa bursts in and he's like, my daughter, she's gone. There's a beast. And everyone's like, ha ha, get out. It's egg time. And then Gaston says, I've got a whole plan. You don't see what the plan is until later. But his whole plan is he's going to have Maurice uh, institutionalized because he says, and his reasoning behind it is when Belle finds out her dad is going to be locked up, she will do anything to prevent it, which is literally what already happened in the story. He's not wrong. This is why he is not <laughs> that dumb of a guy. very intelligent. Yeah. <laughs> like he's, he's like, I know exactly where to hit. And boom, that was exactly it. Like, he didn't even realize that that story beat had already been hit. We get back to the castle where Belle is supposed to go to dinner with the beast, and she refuses, and he goes, and then he stomps off, and he's like, she's not allowed to eat anything, and he, like, breaks more things. Well, but then that's when we first see the peepin' mirror. The peepin' mirror, yes. He says, he's like, he tells the mirror, like, show me Belle, and she's in there, and it's just like, okay, he's never had, like, a lady guest and it's like, what What are you doing? Like, she could be using the royal latrine at the time. Why are you just peeping on her in the mirror? That's his peeping mirror. <laughs> but she's like crying and talking to the wardrobe and just being like, I'm never going to, I'm never going to do anything as long as he's here. I'm just going to die. And so then he's like, ah, she'll never love me. So she's like, I'm never going to eat. And then a minute later, she's like, I really have to eat. And so she sneaks downstairs uh, apparently Lumiere was supposed to be guarding her door to make sure she didn't get out, but he's, like, getting frisky with the feather duster. But I love the part, because the feather duster's like, oh, no, I've been burned by you before. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, like, you probably have physically and emotionally. Exactly. See, puns. It's these double meanings that you were looking for. So she wanders down to the kitchen, and, like, I love how the oven is just so huffy. He's just like, I was preparing the most amazing meal, and now it's nothing. And he's, like, really upset. And it just made me laugh, because I, I never realized that, that he's just, like, he was really, really hoping to, like, show her, like, the best cuisine he's ever made. Well, probably because all he does is make the same things over and over again. Like, the Beast, he seems really minor, like a... Like a mac and cheese, grilled cheese kind of guy. Like, yeah, where like he's ramen like, and... He's like, ramen again, and the stove's like, I'm a trade culinary chef! <laughs> I went to Cordon Bleu! I can do beef ragu, cheese souffle! And he's like, top ramen! Cheese curls! <laughs> so everybody wants to show off for Belle, and so there's this whole lead-up to the famous, famous Be Our Guest scene, which was just... Top to bottom, delightful. I loved it. Yeah, it's fun. It's a fun scene to watch. I mean, it's kind of weird because it's like, at first I was thinking the silverware couldn't talk because it was like, well, you don't see mouths on them, but they sing during the song. So it's like, all right, they can clearly talk. Yeah, there's certain objects where it's like, they're not given a human face or anything like that, but they are singing. Like the chandelier is like singing and what, as it swings along. I love when the spoons have like napkins wrapped around them and then it's kind of like those old like Busby Berkeley things when they like dive into the water, like synchronized swimming, but it's like spoons diving into soup. But throughout the entire song, Belle sticks her dirty fingers in 
everything, <laughs> like every single food thing. Like it comes by, they're like, look at this, look at this. And she's like, hey, 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 like. Well, I mean, nobody's sharing with her. She can I, stick her mitts in anything. I guess. By that property of logic, like why wear clothes if no one's around? What do you think the gray stuff is? Do you think that's foie gras? It's delicious. Apparently. If you don't believe me. Ask, Ask the, the dishes. dishes. Wait, so, wait, so can the dishes, dishes eat taste it? it? <gasps> are, are, so it's like a, a, a bowl, just a big open mouth? Oh my gosh. Can the dishes <laughs> taste what's on them? Just like, the surface of it is just like... Argh. Yeah, like, are you eating off of... Ugh. <laughs> That's gross. Like, it's just somebody's open mouth. Like, eating a bowl of cereal <laughs> out of someone's mouth. Because she has porridge later. Yeah. I love Ugh. the porridge scene. We can talk about the porridge scene right now. It's during the whole uh, something there montage, but like she's eating porridge for breakfast with the beast, and the beast is like just like chowing down face into the bowl, just like wah, 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 while she's like using a spoon. But then like everyone's just like, Ahem. and so he looks at her and she's holding a spoon. So the beast picks up a spoon and he's trying to eat with it, and he's having kind of a tough time. So then Belle, kind of demonstrating like a solidarity picks her bowl up and places it to her mouth and ends up sipping from it. But I was just imagining if she's just like, well, you did it my way, I'll try it yours, and just... <laughs> and throws porridge everywhere. Because the beast gets covered in porridge. That's the other thing, too. It's not like he's lapping up the porridge. He's throwing it everywhere. It's like in every bit of his hair, like knotted up into his eyebrows. <laughs> After her big magical feast, she gets a tour of the castle with Cogsworth and Lumiere, and then they're just like, here, let's go to all these places. And she's just like, ooh, that's the West Wing, the one place the Beast told me not to go to. And they're like, you shouldn't go there. And she's like, I'm going to go there. And they even say like, like, don't go they there. They're like, we have a huge castle. There's so many places to go. Hey, you like books? We have a library. She's like, that sounds interesting. And then just walks the other way. <laughs> don't go there. I'm going to go there. <laughs> don't go there. I'm going to go, nah, go there. And of course, like the Beast sees her there because, okay, if I find, like, a rose encased in glass, my first thing is not to remove the glass and touch this floating, glowing rose. Yeah, after you're specifically told you're not supposed to be in this area. I would look at it. I'd walk up and be like, what is that? But I wouldn't remove the glass and start to poke at it. One of the things I loved about this whole scene, though, is that they play spooky versions of a lot of the songs you've heard already. Mm-hmm. So like when she first walks up and she's going through and there's like these weird like gargoyles and like weird statues, they're playing this spooky like minor version of Be Our Guest. So it's just like, it's this kind of thing of like, oh, this is spooky hospitality. And then as she sees like the face of the, you know, the, the torn portrait of, of the beast, it starts playing this like tune reminiscent of the very beginning when they do the intro. It's like what I'm thinking of is kind of like the curse music. And then... When she sees the rose, it's like it plays a spooky version of Beauty and the Beast, like that we even we haven't even heard that song in the soundtrack yet. But there's like the spooky version of it that's playing. I wrote on my notes, music is best. Music is best. I love how, even like the callbacks when they do like the little like it's like sort of like a Broadway thing where they do a quick reprise of a song that's already been sung. Like when Belle has her Sound of Music thing, it's like a different version of the Bonjour song, but it's her like being like, I'm going to be an adventurous person. And then she's like, Doe a deer. Not that Sound of Music song. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it's like the silverware's alive. <laughs> <laughs> the hills are alive with 
growling of wolves. There's wolves everywhere. The napkins are alive. <laughs> and their children are the spoons. <laughs> this leads us to the turning point of the movie. Yeah, Belle's freaked out because the beast shows up and he's just like, ah, I told you, blah, 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 blah. and then she runs and he's just like, I don't care. Just go. I don't, I don't he care. Was like, yeah, he, he was just like, yeah, I'm not going to chase her. I don't really care. <laughs> Because he didn't, he didn't really care about her at this point. So he's just like, eh, whatever. So she runs, and then she, like, jumps on her horse. And then, of course, they're chased by these same wolves that chased her dad, which, like, really, someone needs to be out there hunting these <laughs> wolves. Like, it's a pack of, like, 30 wolves. And so, like, the horse is kicking the This is very violent. The horse is kicking the wolves. They try to, like, escape and end up going through ice, and some of the wolves are drowning. Like, they look really distressed and, like, upset. Well, Philippe looks like he's going to drown at one point. Like, they run onto a frozen lake that cracks underneath them. Mm -hmm. So they're both plunged into water with some of these wolves that then can't get out from under the ice. So that's how she loses some of the wolves, by drowning them. And Philippe gets stuck to a tree with his with the reins. And she's then, thrown off. And she's thrown off. And so the wolves look like they're about to like hop on Philippe. And then all of a sudden they're struck down because Belle is there just like swinging a branch around. And then there one of them like pulls her by her cape and like flings her 30 feet. Yeah. <laughs> like the, it's just only attached at her neck. And she's like. <laughs> <laughs> and they're about to go in for the kill. And then the beast shows up. Just a lot of fighting. One of them scratches him on his arm and he, bites his neck. He throws one against a tree. And... It's a violent scene. <laughs> and then eventually they all start like running away. Ay, ay, ay. And that's when she, I guess, carries him back to the castle. Okay, that's how I collapses. want to know. He full on collapses and he is the size of a large bear. So he's yeah. probably like nine or ten feet tall. Somehow he gets draped over Philippe. And carried back to the Because she does. She almost gets on Philippe and rides away. Like, she sees him lying there and she's like, bye. And then she goes, no, I can't do that. And so, immediate cut, he's on Philippe. And so, I want to know how she got a nine-foot bear onto the back of this normal-sized horse. And, I mean, you, if you haven't seen this lately, this isn't this isn't just a normal-sized horse. This is like a Clydesdale. This is a horse that is, like, seven feet tall, like, up to its saddle. Like, you really have to jump up high to get onto That's it. That's true. This is a giant horse. Like, there was, like, points where the horse was fighting, and I was like, these are horse muscles on horse muscles. Like, this horse has, like, <laughs> muscles for days. Like, this horse is at the castle doing horse push-ups. Horse push-ups. <laughs> yeah, it's a swole horse. Belle gets him back to the castle, and it's time for her to do some first aid on him. And I never knew, like, what she was doing. I guess she's kind of just washing his wound. But it, it almost like it stings him, like so. It's it's almost like an like like an alcohol pad or something like that. He's like ah. This scene, I will always remember this as the scene that I would do with my friends at the California Adventure Animation Studio, where Ursula <laughs> has her like cr grotto where you can like re-record your voice oh, over certain yeah. scenes. This was one of them. Like, I'd be with a friend who was, like, a girl. Not a girlfriend, but, like, a friend who was a girl and... Dude, we're married. We've been married for almost five years now. You don't have to, like, justify it. You could have gone to Disneyland I was with girlfriends. I was presupposing your reaction of, like, ooh, is this a girlfriend? No, it would just be a friend that was a girl or something. But I'd be like, you know what would be funny? Ooh, is this a girlfriend? <sighs> I knew it. Did you kiss her in I front of the it. Mickey Mouse? <laughs> <laughs> in front of the Mickey Mouse? Did you kiss? And you were just like, hey, Donald, look at this. Donald, 
So uh, Ursula lets you watch a scene and then record your own voice over it, and she records it and then plays it back to you. And so I was like, you know, it'd be funny if you were the Beast and I was Belle. And so when she'd be like, if you hadn't scared me, I wouldn't have run away. And instead it'd be like, if you hadn't scared me, I would have run away. Yeah, I guess you had to be there. And then you guys would go and split a corn dog. And like, how do you split a corn dog? <laughs> you You're like, eat- do I eat the stick side? <laughs> No, I guess more, I was imagining, like, you're each eating, like, you're holding the stick side, and it, you're, like, face-to-face it on either side it's of the It's, like, right dog. in the middle, like yeah. those corn butterers, like, yeah, that go yeah. on bo- either side. <laughs> yeah. And so then you're, like, mm, I love you corn and dog. corn dogs. And so then you're, like, eating corn dogs, but your noses are noses, touching. I, I think, yeah, it would be, like, nose to nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like my version better, where I'm eating the stick. <laughs> You're like, no, 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 I'll start stick side. I'll go stick side first. Mmm. <laughs> Crunchy. <laughs> and then after that, you guys went over and shared a bottle of wine at the winery. No. And then you guys went to you're, you're just... the bread factory. Okay. And Rosie O'Donnell told you about yeast. And then you went to the tortilla factory, and the kids said, Masaka. <laughs> but now it's the Ghirardelli place. Are you just like describing the first time you and I went to but Disneyland? Then... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, except for the corn dog part. I don't remember that. But maybe and, I did have to get my stomach pumped. And then. <laughs> and then you watch the Toy Story play parade and you're like, three, two, one. <laughs> and then. You switched hats for a little bit, so you had a princess hat, and your girlfriend had your hat that said Joey, and then you went on the train. What is this? What is this character? And then, I was trying to think of all the things we did the first time, and then you stayed until, like, the whole day, and you didn't leave until, like, midnight, and you got there right when it opened, and then... <laughs> I don't know how much of this is usable. And then you fell in love and went to Disneyland a lot more times and got married. <laughs> yeah, something like that. I knew it. And then... This is the turning point for the movie. Oh, okay. okay, it's done. So while Beast is yelling at her like, you shouldn't run away. She gives back to him, and she's like, you shouldn't have yelled at me. And at that point, everybody goes, huh? Like, nobody has ever talked to the beast like that. Cut to Gaston hatching his plan, because he still has no idea that anybody's gone up to the beast castle. But he's has, he's having, he has his own movie going on, and he's talking to the caretaker of the asylum, and he's making a deal of saying... And then you just have to, and then you just have to go and pick up Maurice, and that's all. He's just a crazy person. And the guy's just like, pleasure doing business with you. His voice, did you recognize it? No. It was Tony J, the guy who's the voice of Judge Claude Frollo in The Hunchback of Notre Dame. He's the same guy, and he's in France. Maybe he is the same character. I mean, he very well could be. He looked like the same character. He did. He's like thin and gaunt, and he has that voice like this. Yeah, so Gaston's got his own movie going on during this movie. So we watch the Beast and Belle start to fall in love. And that's when you get the, like, there's something strange. Perfect. It's a trumpet song. 
And then uh, they're walking around in the snow and Belle walks behind a tree because she's like, I'm having feelings for him. And he's like, I'm having feelings for her. And then he gets hit by a snowball the size of a basketball in the face. (laughs) Yeah, she just like and it comes fast. Like it looks like one that you would throw with one hand, except it covers his whole face. And he is, like I said, nine or ten feet tall. So like it's a basketball size. And she's like, tee hee hee. And it's like. Nuh-uh. Uh-uh. Have you ever thrown a snowball, Brenna? Yes. Yeah, they're like rocks. Yes. Like paintballs. Yeah, like yeah. where they're it's just like, like a softball. Yeah, it's like it it hits and the initial impact is very rough because it's a ball of ice and it's like the only way it holds a size that large is if you really compact it. And uh yeah, that would really hurt. Well, have you ever been hit with a snowball, not an ice ball, but like fresh fallen snow? Well, yeah, but, like, those are usually a lot smaller, but something, like, that big. No, no, no. Like, if you make it the size of a softball, mm-hmm. like, when we were, when I was at camp, fresh snow, mm-hmm. if you like pack powder. that in, it hits somebody and just goes, mm-hmm. if it's ice, that, leave bru- that leaves bruises and you go to the hospital. Yeah, most of the times I've ever, I've ever been in a snowball fight, it's been mostly ice. I mean, he recoils from this hit, <laughs> so she had to throw it with some force. What I love is that he, like, is talking to Lumiere, and he's like, I don't know how to tell her how I feel. And he's like, oh, no, it's Cogsworth. And he's like, well, there's chocolates, there's flowers, there's promises you don't intend to keep. (laughs) And I was like, ha-ha, commentary, socially. (laughs) Uh, I like throughout all of this that she's got, like, it's like they're trying different looks with her. She's got different colored dresses, all of them perfectly tailored to her, too. So, like, when she's going through the town in the beginning, she's got her sort of iconic, looks like a Dorothy dress that, like, blue and white. And then when she first goes to to eat, she's, like, wearing a pink dress. She's out in the snow in this green dress. It's, like, all these different kinds of looks that are very, very nice. And so she gets her, like, dance dress. And that's the yellow one that you see Okay, but, like, they couldn't get her another dress for her own wedding at the end? No. It was, like, she didn't reuse that dress. Well, and he had to reuse his. It had to be tailored down to... Right? So he had a suit that was built for a 10-foot tall inverted knee monster, and they resized it for him? Like, I feel like just make a new one at that point. I was wondering about that because it's like when the wardrobe goes up to her and she's like, I've got all these dresses for you. It's like, was was there also a, a sewing machine that was a servant that like was able to kind of like adjust everything? Because everything fits her, like form-fitting perfect. Well, I imagine, yes. Like, there is probably a tailor on staff probably we never see it maybe it's the hat rack the hat rack that does everything (laughs) (laughs) oh the coat rack the coat rack rack that does every single thing the coat rack that plays the violin it's a barber is a barber and a beautician yes Does makeup. That does... coat rack is in every scene doing everything. <laughs> Doesn't have a face. It just has that, n- that knob of a head. Never talks. Never talks. Nobody thanks it or says anything to it. Like, they just don't acknowledge it's there. But he just shows up and does everything. I noticed that the uh, while this scene is happening where they're falling in love with each other or getting closer to each other, that you start to see more hearts in the background decorations of, like, the castle. It's very subtle, but you start to see, like, in the background just these subtle, like, heart shapes. I thought that was uh, 
a nice little subliminal thing. Like there was, it went from like spooky faces to like gargoyles to now hearts. Well, because I think it's the whole idea that the the beast is softening. Yeah. Because you see him at the beginning and he's super hardened. Even when Papa breaks into the castle or he like comes in and he's like, oh, you just came here to stare at me. Like he does, he immediately thinks anybody who's there is just like there to like make fun of him or stare at him. And then as like Belle kind of talks to him more, they become friends, they're falling in love he starts to lighten the castle or let them put in more happy things. Yeah, I, I think, I don't know, maybe is is the castle itself also enchanted, like alive kind of that way? Because definitely like when the spell breaks, you see like this like sparkling light wash over the whole castle and all of like the demon gargoyles turn into like angel gargoyles. And you start to see all these like, you know, when they start to, when they do their dance scene, you see those like, the ceiling painting like that becomes like these cherubs that are kind of moving around a little bit. I don't think it's alive as in it's a person, but it's definitely affected by the magic mm-hmm. from the evil witch. Well, we get their dance scene together. The beauty and the beast. Can I just say the beast singing voice? It's super odd. Yeah. Well, I think it's supposed to be like his internal monologue. Like that's because it, it sounds kind of like the way he sounds at the end when he's like, Belle, it's me. But he, like, has this, like, very strong voice mm-hmm. where it's, like, this booming growl and he's got this strong voice even when he's talking. And then he goes to sing and he's, like, like, the way he said the word paw, he's, like, paw. Like, it was just weird. And I was, like, this is, no. I thought it was a different person doing the singing voice versus the talking voice. But in the credits, no, it's the same person. Yeah. And I remember thinking that when I was young. I thought it was kind of funny and a little off-putting and just, like, he has such a cool voice when he's in beast form. It's like, why wouldn't you just kind of go with it? I mean, he's probably been the beast for how many years now? Like 10 years? 15 years, did they say? No, they said 10 years. 10 years. So the thing started to die from the moment he turned 21. So he was 11 when he insulted the witch. No, no, no. The rose started to die when he turned 21. Oh, okay. And so then this has been 10 years. So he's theoretically 31. So the ro- the witch might have come when he was like 19 or 20. How could you penalize an 11-year-old? I don't know. And expect somebody to find their soulmate by 21? I don't know. That's what I was just wondering. Because I thought they were saying that he had until he, his 21st year to find true love and break the spell. Like that was when it was over. No, they said the rose started to die at 21. Well, now I need to fact check this. Because <laughs> I feel like I'm pretty sure I'm right. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Google, what are the rules of Beauty and the Beast? Like, when was the prince turned into a beast, and when does the rose die? Here's the top Wikipedia result. It's just Wikipedia. See, but this says... That's so stupid, though. See, it said it would bloom until his 21st birthday, and at that point it would start to die. This is Disney Wikipedia. Yeah. When the beast finally turned 21, his countdown truly began as the rose slowly but surely began to wilt. At the end of the film, the beast appears to reach the deadline. Oh, it says reach the deadline of his 21st birthday because the rose completely finishes wilting, but Belle confesses her love for him right before the last petal falls. Apparently in Beauty and the Beast, The Enchanted Christmas... It's about Belle trying to bring Christmas to the castle. There's a flashback scene explaining why the Beast hates Christmas. It's the day he was cursed, and he's about 10 or 11. Wait, okay. 
So then I gotta say, this witch sucks. <laughs> this is so much worse. Like, so you're telling me that she's going off the values of a 10 or 11 year old? Man, come on. Kids are the worst. Like, you cannot, they're still learning. Mm hmm. Like, Apparently, that's all it takes is a snotty 11-year-old to doom an entire household of servants. So you're telling me that, like, someday I'm going to tell our children, like, don't talk to strangers. Stranger is going to come to the door, this old hag woman who says, give me your allowance for this rose. And, like, I'm going to hope my kid says, no, thank you, and closes the door. (laughs) And then everyone gets turned into silverware? What is this? Are you kidding me? Also, you're telling me I'm supposed to be in love by 21? Like, I'm sorry. If I married the person that I was dating at 21, So then the portrait that he rips up of, like, the handsome man is is a handsome 11-year-old. Right. So then he wouldn't have any portraits. Yeah. Explain. Riddle me this, Batman. Why does he have these portraits of himself as, like, an adult if he was 11? This witch is the worst. This is a wicked witch. This woman. Where is the story where she gets burned at the stake? Because I am all on board for that one. I am not okay. I am not okay. (laughs) So now that we've settled that, the point that I was initially trying to make is now, I guess, for half of this prince's life, he's been in beast form. So it would make sense that while he's singing, his internal monologue is still a beast voice because that is his adult voice. I guess maybe that's why his singing voice is so weeny because he's still like an 11 year old, like, there's something in my pants. She should my paw. Oh, that's messed up. Yeah. So we get our Beauty and the Beast, and because he gets his bath and his haircut, and he meets up with Belle, and they dance together. And then Mrs. Potts is singing while they dance in this 3D screensaver of a ballroom. I'm sure it looked amazing at the time. And it still is like kind of, you watch it, and it's like, this is this is nice, but like... CG technology has gotten so much better since then that where it's like you think of of, of stuff like uh, Lilo and Stitch where there is CG use in that but it all still kind of looks hand drawn and it just they do a really great job of blending it where it's all together. Okay, I don't know if that's a fair example. Like when did Lilo and Stitch come out? Like two thousand and three. Yeah, it was much much later. So but like I'm saying is that the, the technology of, eleven years later. But I'm not, not saying that. Like, so as an eleven year old, you're judging. <laughs> apparently. You have very, very valid opinions when you're 11 years old. <laughs> Life-changing opinions. <laughs> Enough to ruin your childhood. Oh. But um, originally, the song was supposed to be sung by a different character because Angela Lansbury said, I don't think Mrs. Potts should be the one to sing this. And so the director said, can we just get like a couple takes of you singing it? And so she's like, okay, fine. And then she did, and they ended up using that in the movie. Oh, uh, yeah, because Angela Lansbury should sing everything because she's Absolutely. an American hero and a treasure. I think that she was actually, and this is a little bit of a fun fact. <gasps> fun, fun facts with Joe Payo. I think that the reason why she was hesitant to do the song was because she thought it would take a long time for her to sing it and perfect it and everything. But um, she just did a a few takes and they ended up making it work out. But the reason why is that her schedule was kind of booked up because 
she came in to record when she was on very short breaks because she was still doing Murder, She Wrote at the time. Oh, the best show ever created? Yes. (laughs) So while this movie was being made, she was still on Murder, She Wrote. And whenever she got like, you know, a couple days off, she would go into the studio and record her lines. Oh, so she was busy creating the best television show ever made. And one of the best animated movies ever made. So yeah, multitasker. Angela Lansbury is just the most amazing person She's a in treasure. The we got to see her on stage. Yeah, we went to go see Blythe Spirit, and she was uh, she was just magnificent. She was like 87? Yeah. And she was bouncing around the stage? Like, through most of it, she's kind of sitting on a couch because she's like a spirit medium, and she's just like, oh, I'm so tired from the spirits. But like, but when she would get up, it's like she was moving. She was fantastic. Oh, my gosh. That was early on when we were dating, I think. Mm-hmm. And you got tickets to that? And I was like, whew, he might be the one. (laughs) So after this amazing scene in which Belle and the Beast dance for hours, like you see the sunset, like they're- The stars come out. Yeah, and and the stars change. Like it goes on for hours and they're just dancing. And it's, it's really nice. Like it's a beautiful scene. Like at one point she puts her head against the Beast's chest and he just goes like, oh, it's a really cute scene. But unfortunately, at the end of this scene, she's like, you know, I got to tell you, I miss my dad. Yeah, he's, he's just like, are you are you, are you, you okay? Are you happy here? Do you like it here? Because she's supposed to stay there forever because she's a prisoner. And he's just he just kind of tells her, like, are you happy here? And she's like, got to be honest with you, I miss my dad. And instead of saying, like, you're free to go, he's just like, you want to see him? I got a peeping mirror. So he shows her the peeping <laughs> mirror. <laughs> and Maurice is in the middle of the forest. Because he went out to go look for Belle. He's like, I'm going to find the castle and I'm going to get her back. And he's in the forest and he's like in bad shape and he's about to pass out. Papa? Papa. So Belle says, I have to go get him. And he's like, I release you. Well, it's not even like she goes say that. She's just like, oh my gosh, he needs help. And the beast is like, go to him. Like, it's not even like she had to ask. He was just like, no, 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 you need to go to him. Like, I release you. And she's like, well, how will I see you? And he's like, take my peeping mirror. Yeah. So she takes the peeping mirror. (laughs) Here's the thing that always, that I never liked when I was younger. I don't know. Maybe it's what I would have done if I were the beast. I would say, let's go get him together. Because I, I think that maybe the idea would be like, you can live here and your dad can live here and we can be taken care of and we can be happy all together. Instead, he's just like, you can leave now. And he already went into the forest to rescue her. Why couldn't he go into the forest to rescue her dad with her as backup, too? But instead, he just has her go, and everybody's just like, well, guess we're cursed forever now. (laughs) That's a good point. I never even thought of that. Because she goes and she rescues him and then brings her to her home, when it's like she could have brought him to the Beast's home and everything would be okay. Yeah, I never actually thought about that. The movie would have just ended if she just grabbed dad. It was the one thing she was missing. And brought him back to the castle. And then, like, the same medical care would have been given to him. But I guess when she leaves the, I guess it's kind of uh, explained by the staff somewhat. They kind of explain, well, he's in love with her, but she's not in love with him. Which is probably true at the time. Which you don't normally see in movies like this. I guess that's true. Because at that time, like, he had made it clear. Because he had told Lumiere Cogsworth, one of them, like, oh, I love her. I let her go because I'm in love with her. And, like, the thing was, he says that, and nobody understands that Mrs. Potts is like, yep, got it. she's not in love with him. Yeah. So we're all stuck like this. Yeah, and so, and and I guess, like, at this point, Bella's not in love with him yet. And so she goes off, she gets Papa, brings him back home, 
And then that's when the asylum shows up and she grabs the peeping mirror and she's like, no, the beast is real. And Gaston is like, okay, let's go kill that thing because you've got feelings for it. (laughs) That's the thing. Gaston is so intuitive to the way she talks about the beast that he's like, you've got feelings for this beast. And she's like, what? No. And he's like, yeah, I got to kill this. (laughs) He is not dumb. (laughs) He's Mm -hmm. not a dumb man. (laughs) Yep. Everything is all like tactics to him because he's a hunter and a very good one. And so he's he gets the crowd riled up and it's like he basically does this whole like song and dance to, to the crowd saying like, OK, we were all here to see like this old man get locked up. But guess what? We have a new objective. We are going to go and kill this beast that is not near us or doesn't have any effect on us whatsoever. But he's like, this is why he's dangerous. And you're all coming with me. And he creates a mob. He's a politician. With Yeah, with very few words, he creates a mob and they grab their, you know, their rakes and their torches and they just start storming the castle. And so he locks Belle and Papa in the basement and Belle's like, oh, crap. <laughs> I was always really worried when I saw the scene because they're all holding torches and he, they get locked in the basement. It's like, are they going to just like burn the house down with them <laughs> inside? Thankfully, they don't. <laughs> Well, and it, it turns out that Chip had stowed along in her bag. So Chip runs outside, grabs the... The chopping machine. That Papa had tried to take to the fair to start this all off. He was trying to go to the county fair. <laughs> and he took the wrong 16 miles and ended up at a, a castle. And anyway, Chip sets the machine going and he chops up the house and sets them free. And then they run off to the castle I happen to love and be appalled by the fight scene between the village people and the castle staff. So, yeah, they walk in and there's just like all of these appliances and furniture there. And they're just like, what? And then Lumiere is just like, attack! And they start fighting the mob. You like audibly like appalled. Like you were just like, when Mrs. Potts and like all of her teacups burn the flesh off of someone. Yeah, they're all steaming hot with uh, liquids, be it tea or maybe hot tar. And they're, you just see them up on this upper mantle and they're just like, and drop. And they pour out and then you just hear people go, yeah! yeah. Like, <laughs> they're just searing. Well, pain. and people run into the kitchen and there's boiling stuff on the stove that gets thrown at them. And then all the knives stand up and fly at people. And you're like, okay, so those people didn't make it. Uh, The other people had the literal flesh burned off of them. And then one guy gets straight up eaten by the trunk. Like, it licks its trunk lips. Yeah, and it makes chewing sounds like... Yeah. And then burps. Yeah, like, he's gone. Like, bye. I can't imagine, like, when the curse is lifted and they're just like, yay. And then it turns around and there's just all these, like, body parts everywhere. Either from broken furniture or from, like the people that were just mauled by uh, dressers falling off of the well, balcony. I, well, the, so the one guy who gets hit by the dresser, the the wardrobe that jumps off the balcony, lands on a person, you see later and all you see is like an arm and a leg. Yeah. Like you literally <laughs> see like a dismembered body part and you're like, ew. Like, <laughs> like sticking out from like pieces of wood yeah. from the floor that are like and sticking out. And it's not moving. And like... <laughs> The same thing is like the the village people are doing terrible things. Like one guy is like trying to pull the feather duster apart. Like he's ripping her <laughs> legs out. She's screaming. And she's screaming in pain. And that's when Lumiere lights his butt on fire. Like stay, takes his candle head and goes like and gives him a 
on fire colonoscopy. I always imagine when um, when Lumiere sees the feather duster at the end and she's like kind of flirting with him. If he looks down and she's like missing a couple toes. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what's going on downstairs. Upstairs, Gaston makes it past everybody and he's just like, the beast is mine. And he gets upstairs and he finds the beast and he's got like a bow and arrow and the beast is like sitting there and he's just sad. He's and he like, looks over. I don't care. And he looks over at, at Gaston and he sees him right there with his bow and arrow and he just turns his back on him. He's just like, whatever, and just turns back to the window. And so you think that maybe like when Gaston fires his arrow, he'll like dart out of the way or he'll turn around and catch it. Or like just you gets... think like Gaston's not going to shoot the arrow. Like you just think he's like, oh, this guy's already defeated. Like, yeah, because to him, it's like he just kind of sees an animal. And so like a bison or a bear. And so it's like maybe he'll like be like, come on, attack me. I want to like, I want, I want this to be glorious. Instead, shoots him just right in the back, in the middle of the back, just arrow right in. And the beast is like, ouch! <laughs> and then they fight and they go out the window and they're just out on the No, but they don't outside. really fight. Gaston just throws the beast out the window. Yeah. And it's raining and the beast is just still not fighting back. He's just sad. Like he pushes him to the edge of like a precipice. Yeah, he won't fight back. He just kind of wants to die until he sees Belle down below and sees that she came back. And so that's when, like, Gaston has taken one of the spires off of, like, like the stone decoration on the side of the, ma- of the castle and is about to swing it down on him like a baseball bat with spikes sticking out of it. And that's when he catches it with his hand and is like, okay, I'll fight back. I've got something to live for. So, like, obviously this 10-foot-tall monster overpowers this freakishly strong human. With high cholesterol. <laughs> See, he can't fight back that much because his heart rate can't get that high. <laughs> he just keeps going, and then trying to fight. <laughs> He's like, where's my oxygen tank? <laughs> so they get to the point where the beast is like holding him by the neck over a cliff. And Gaston's like, no, I'll give you whatever you want. Don't kill me. And he's like, okay. Yeah, he's like and he's pleading like, for his life. He like he's like, I'll let you go. I'll do whatever. And, and it's not even a thing where... Bell is like, don't kill him. He on his own accord, because I think Bell was sitting back there going, kill him, kill him, do it. <laughs> Beast on his own accord goes like, all right, I'm not going to kill you. So he says, he tells him to run away. He's like, he's like you, you leave need to here. leave. Yeah. And so Gaston's like, okay. And so he sets him back down. The Beast crawls up the roof, because they've been like on the outside of the castle, back to where Bell is. He gets up to where Bell is. He grabs her hand and he's like, I love you. You came back. You came back. Yeah. And that's when Gaston has crawled up behind him and stabs him in the side. With like a nine inch hunting knife. Yeah. It's massive. Because when it first turns around, you don't see the knife go in because, you know, Disney movie. But like you see him just holding like after he's like, ah, it turns around and, and Gaston has just like the handle of it sticking out of his side. It's like a sword. And he pulls it out. and It's this giant like hunting machete. And he's just like, and he's like, I'll finish you off. And that's when the beast is like, okay, you're done. Well, he leans back because he, he loses his grip a little bit, the beast does, with his hands. But, of course, he still has, like, claw feet, so he's mm-hmm. still kind of clawing his feet into. But by leaning back, he knocks Gaston off, but Belle kind of grabs the beast's cape. I never understood that. Like, how did uh, she... I mean, I guess maybe he was, like, on, like, the precipice of tottering or something like that. Because she grabs him, and she's not supporting all of his weight. But she just kind of keeps him from tumbling backwards. Well, I think she's been doing workouts with Philippe. So she's been doing like horse Maybe. push-ups. Yeah. Horse-ups. Philippe's. Philippe's? That's what we want to call it? It's like burpees. Horses. So she's got those massive biceps and that really solid core. And 
Bum, bum, bum. Gaston falls off a cliff and dies. Did you know that uh, when he falls down, he kind of passes by camera. So it's like you see him falling towards camera and then it switches angles and you see him falling away from camera. In that quick little transition, there's a close up on his face and he has little skulls in his pupils. It's a really quick no, thing. Oh, I didn't see that. It's just like for a couple frames, but it's a subliminal thing that he's that he's dead. That but he did didn't... he stick his tongue out? Yeah, you didn't see him stick his tongue out. See, that means you're dead when you stick your tongue out. Well, maybe down at the bottom. I also always imagine when he falls down that he makes the goofy sound that, (laughs) (laughs) but that usually means he'll survive. But this one did not. Nah, he died. He he dead died. I remember this that scene being like really intense for me when I was young. Not as intense as the Tarzan one. Ooh, (sighs) no. Watching oh. that when it flashes yeah. and you're like, oh, yeah, that one's that and one's it makes not you go for like, kids. Oh, that is not for 11 year olds that were cursed Where by it's witches. Like, he's falling. And then we see from the ground just his knife falls. But then the yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> OK, we'll get there anyway. So the beast falls over because he's been stabbed in the side. And then Belle's like, no, I love you. And then she cries and then the rain turns pink. And then. But then that's when like the last petal falls. the rain down in Africa. Little town full of little people. The curse is broken. Yay. It starts raining and... We said, like, this big sparkle sunshine goes through and uh, starts transforming everything. And it's blonde-haired prince shaking his head from side to side like, it's me. And he's got, like, gold shooting from his fingertips and from his toes. Yeah, that was weird. Like, I was just like, like eh. You see it from the fingertips and it's like, okay, that's cool. And then you see his feet change and then, it like, this, like these toes. rays come from his toes. And it's like, okay, someone like, has a fetish. Eh, yeah, uh, yeah. That was weird. Like, it <laughs> accentuated the toes a little too much. Like, each, like, knuckle was just like... I didn't like that. I gotta ask you, have you ever seen the the live show of Beauty and the Beast? (gasps) Do you want to know? I was going to bring this up later. So one of the cutest things Mm -hmm. that I had in my life was my dad used to take me on dates before my sisters were born. Those losers. And one of the dates he took me on was to see Beauty and the Beast, Mm -hmm. the live show. Yeah. And apparently... I was young, like I was, I like I vaguely remember this memory, but I had to have been like three or four. And I guess in the beginning I got scared and sat on his lap and never sat in my own seat after that. I would only mm-hmm. sit on my dad's lap. So you wasted a seat. Okay. Thank you for <laughs> killing this adorably cute story. No, it is adorable. So I just remember we went and saw it and it was, I want to say it was like at the Pantages or the Amundsen. Like mm-hmm. it was a big theater. Yeah. And I remember we bought my mom a rose pin. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they sell all the stuff at the theater. And we got her like a rhinestone pin to wear, like that had, that was the rose. And I remember that distinctly. But I remember like being like, I'm pretty posh. Like I remember because I got all dressed up. Mm-hmm. My dad took me to the theater. It was like this whole thing where it was like a dad-daughter date. Yeah. And like mom wasn't invited like it was really cute yeah i still have those memories so yes do i remember all of it (laughs) no uh the reason why i wanted to bring it up is because i i did see it with my family with my with my whole family and i think it was at the amundsen or it was at some place that was like really big really big theater wait what if we went and saw it at the same time? It's very time? possible. I mean, it was the touring company. Okay, when they just, it was you, the first tour that they did. If you remembered it, I would have been like three or four. So you would have been like... Like eight or nine. Eight or nine. Yeah. 
That's about that sounds about right. It's possible. <gasps> it's very possible. So the thing that I remember the most about it, because most of it is just like, oh, this is fun. This is nice. Like this was before the age of the Lion King where they were just like, we're going to do a, a reimagining for the live version. Instead, it was like, you remember the movie? This is just like the movie. And so for the most part, you're just like, okay, this is almost exactly like it. There's a few new songs. There's a few different things that are different. But I remember distinctly watching the Beast transformation scene and it blew my mind because it was yeah. like watching David Cotton. Is his name David Cotton? The musician. Is it David Copperfield? musician who does magic. Yeah. David Copperfield. David, David Copperfield. Copper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like watching... Cop- Coppertone Dave. Yes. It was like watching one of those big magic shows like David Copperfield or Lance Burton or Chris Angel or something like that because it was a magic trick that mm-hmm. they did where it's like they had... The whole scene happened, like didn't change like scenes or it wasn't like people run off stage or on stage. It was like, you see the beast. He does his whole death scene where he says that he loves Belle and he dies and she cries and she says, I love you. And then the magic stuff starts happening and you see his body lift off the ground where it's like, you know, it's wires, but it's like, when did they attach wires to him? Then not only that, but you see this like beast body raise up start spinning, like Mm -hmm. spinning, 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 spinning. And I don't know how they did it. You didn't see pieces fall off. You didn't see like pieces fly on. Nothing broke your line of sight. But while he's spinning, he did the transformation from beast to human. And it was like, I haven't, to this day, I have no idea how they did that. But that was like one of those things you see it live and you're just like, real magic exists. (laughs) <laughs> like, like I don't know what they did and someone's using it for a stage somebody, place <laughs> somebody made some kind of pact with a demon and, <laughs> and multiple days a week <laughs> yeah I remember being really amazed by it but I was also three or four so I don't really have that same recollection yeah I just remember that wow because I was like really into magic at the time I was into like oh I know how they do this and I that blew me away yeah, I know my dad took me on a lot of those father-daughter dates. I remember that one. And then I also remember that we went and saw the the Velveteen Rabbit. But I was really young at that point. That one was more like children's theater. Yeah. And I remember I got I loved that book. But then I kept calling it the Vermentine Rabbit. <laughs> <laughs> so I just remember my dad kept saying we're going to see the Vermentine Rabbit. <laughs> that I remember specifically. We find ourselves at the end of the movie. It's the wedding. Belle and the Beast are getting married, and they wouldn't give her a new wedding dress. It's just the same one. She's getting married in yellow, so apparently she's not pure. And then... Never thought of it that way. He had his clothes tailored down to human sizes from 10-Foot Monster. Everyone's there, including Papa. And I gotta say, Papa's making eyes at Mrs. Potts. I noticed that. He's looking at her like she's a snack. Could be Step Potts. Okay, Here's my other question is that she looks to be like a 60-year-old woman. And Chip is still like... Eight. Eight. Although technically, maybe he's 18. (laughs) I guess, yeah. I guess maybe it comes down to that. Like, I don't know how old anybody really is. It's kind of like with the Avengers post-snap. It's like, it's everything's... Age is kind of a nebulous thing now. (laughs) I guess that's true. All right, we'll let it slide. (laughs) But Papa's looking at Mrs. Potts like she is a snack and a half. you, You might say she's his cup of tea. (laughs) and then they're dancing together and the dance i think the dance that they use is actually recycled footage from sleeping beauty so i think so too because no one else moves no one else moves and they're just like moving around Mm -hmm. and it it seems it doesn't seem like a very like um modernized type of thing it looks a little fuzzy like i think they actually reused it 
less so as like, oh no, we've run out of time or we're stealing. I think it's more of just like, hey, remember these old classics? Because that's what this this time of the Disney Renaissance was all about. Just like recapturing the feeling of that magic that you saw in the older movies. Well, and that last cut, the camera starts to pull back. So you see him from farther. So like you mm-hmm. don't have to have it be as precise. So it's it's a nice ending. It is. It has all the uh, the people singing Beauty and the Beast, like in a chorus and like the oh, and then it goes to credits and we get the first, the very first of a long line of Disney movies that have the slow jams R&B version of the title song. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and that continues for a long time. Like every, now every title scene has like a different version of the main song from the movie. Like, I mean, like Frozen 2 was like, Panic at the Disco exploding the speakers <laughs> at every movie theater ever. I mean, I guess around the time of the 90s, it was like the slow jams version. But then right. later on, it becomes like the pop version. Yeah. So you have like Christina Aguilera singing Reflection. And then later on, you have Panic at the Disco singing Into the Unknown. I mean, I got to say, I'm a fan. Like when we saw Frozen 2 and we were sitting there and I was like, is that Panic at the Disco? And you're like, I think it is. And the credits roll by and it was like Panic at the Disco. I was like... What? <laughs> it's like, did they did they modulate it to uh, be in oh, their no. range instead of Adina oh, Menzel? No. No. <laughs> no, they did not. They just told, what's his face? Can you go higher? What about higher? What about higher? So, like, if I wanted this glass to crack, can you go higher? <laughs> but anyway, back to Beauty and the Beast. Uh, 10 out of 10 would watch again. Absolutely would watch again. This was this a is, fantastic movie. This is one like, of those that is, like, required viewing for children. Yeah. It's like, just, it's got really great story. It's fun for girls and boys, and it's just so fun. And even for adults, like, it hits all the right emotional beats. Like, this is the first time I'd ever watched it, and actually felt, like, really emotional at certain times. I think this was one of the first times when you're, like, as an adult and as a kid, I can watch this movie and be totally entertained and enthralled. Oh, Hello, Joseph. Oh, hello, Brenna. Would you like to hear some fun facts? Oh, you have fun facts? No, I was just giving a lead into your more okay. fun facts. <laughs> then yes, I would love to hear fun facts from my own mouth. <laughs> so, Fun facts from your, your own mouth, mouth hole. hole. <laughs> <laughs> Don't call it that. No. Fun facts. We already oh, did that, gosh. I guess. Yeah, we already sang it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we can sing it again if you want. We can do whatever no, we want. No, 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 no. Okay, number one. This was the first animated feature to ever be nominated for Best Picture by the Academy Awards. First one ever. Those are really important awards. Um, I mean, it is significant because it's the first time that it's ever been recognized like that. But watching this movie, like I said, this is a really fantastic movie. I mean, it wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's like in my top ten movies of all time. But it's in like the top 20, maybe for me. It's a very, very good movie. Would you not call it one of your top 10 Disney? No, not of Disney. I'm saying movies ever that I've ever okay. seen. Well, this podcast doesn't have to do with movies ever. Okay, yeah. Top 10 Disney? Absolutely. Maybe even top five. Oh, man, I'm so curious what your other four are. I mean, you, well, I know number you, one is Wally. It's one of them. I don't know. I've, it's been a while since I've sat down to rank them. I'm going to say you but love Wally's up there. Wally. Mm-hmm. I think you love Monsters, Inc. I do. You love this one, mm-hmm. Beating the Beast. I think you love Beer- Big Hero 6. That's not in the top f- five, mm, okay. I would say. All right. But I do love it. And then for my last one, I'm going to say you love Cars? No. Ah. Although I do like that a lot. Maybe top 10. What were the other two slots? I, I got three out of five. I'm That's not bad. Think. I'm trying to think. Um, 
Lilo and Stitch might be up there. Dang. That might that one I might be up there. I should have guessed that one. That one might be way right up there. I knew you liked that one. I should have guessed that one. I do have a very special place in my heart for that. Do you want to guess my five? Little Mermaid is number one. I don't know if it's number one, but it's really? definitely top five. Frozen. That might be number one. Might be number one. Would Frozen 2 also be in the top five? It's good, but I don't think it's top five. Okay. Hmm. Finding Nemo. Yeah. Yeah. Um... <laughs> Uh, trying to think of older ones, maybe. I mean, any of the ones that we've seen already, would they, do you think any of them would no. qualify? More recent, yeah. I mean, what, besides The Little Mermaid. Yeah, but I'm, that's why I'm thinking it's probably more more recent. Toy Story 3. Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, funny enough, Toy Story 3 is one of the other movies that was also, has also been nominated for Best Picture. Do you know what the other one is? There's only been three movies. It's Beauty and the Beast, Toy Story 3, and... Inside Out. Up. Oh, of course. But that's really, that's more just for the first 10 minutes. Like, the first 10 minutes is a very, very intense short film. I think the first time I ever made you laugh really, really hard was that time I came to your house. It was only like our third date or something. And it was the night of the Academy Awards. And you were having a little party at your house, but we were going to go play bingo at the Bigfoot Lodge. Mm -hmm. And one of the movies that was nominated was that movie... Where it was like the old couple, I think like it was one called, of them was dying. I think it was called Iris, where it's like the one of the characters had like Alzheimer's, and so but the other was one was like it was the lady, like the, yeah. the wife was dying yeah. of like Alzheimer's or something, and so like that movie flashed, and everybody was like, "Oh, that was so powerful," and I was like, "Um, that movie was the first ten minutes of Up," and you guffawed and <laughs> laughed to a level. Everyone else just looked at me like I was an idiot, and you guffawed <laughs> to a level where I was like, "This might work." <laughs> That was funny. That being said, I think Lilo and Stitch is one of my top five, too. Okay. Yeah. So we're really excited for Lilo and Stitch. Hello, hi. <laughs> my choir sang that song. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, the but this was the only one that was nominated for Best Picture and not nominated for Best Animated Feature because at the time, Best Animated Feature didn't exist. Next fun fact is uh, that in the Mandarin language version of this movie... The Beast is dubbed by Jackie Chan. <laughs> I just thought that oh was... Oh my god, now I really want to watch that! I just thought that was a really <laughs> bizarre fact. What? Jackie Chan. And this was like before... What? Before he was really famous in the US for like Rush Hour or The Tuxedo or anything that he's done what? since... Or Shanghai Noon. He did the Mandarin language version... Back in 1991. That's amazing. That's that might be my favorite my favorite fun fact that you've ever told ever. Well, I mean, Disney Plus has all of the different languages. Maybe we could actually listen to it. All right, guys. Well, we have to go to go watch Jackie Chan be the beast. I mean, we did watch Gummy like the first episode of Gummy Bears in German. Okay, but that was more because like the words Gummibären like in German is like my favorite thing. <gasps> the Gummibären. Ah, the Gummibären. <laughs> I mean, they even did like the theme Gummibären. And there was that one time that I was like, I watched an episode of the the Mandalorian in Japanese, which makes it really seem like a like an anime thing. I recommend doing that. That's like crazy if you like are into the Mandalorian. Watch an episode in Japanese language track. I still love that the fact that we when we found gummy bears in Germany, they were labeled <laughs> gummy bears. <Gummibaren. Gummibaren. laughs> 
Actually, speaking of Japanese language tracks, around the time that I was working at Disney, I had to do, I was working uh, in archiving and I had to go through a lot of their old filing cabinets and pack things away, label the, the, the contents and they would go into like storage, into archives. But one of the, the file drawers that I found were all of the soundtracks in different foreign languages. And so one of them that I actually ended up kind of taking home, ripping onto my computer and then bringing back so I didn't steal it was the... I mean, you did, but... It was the Japanese recording of Beauty and the Beast, <laughs> which is fantastic. Like, it sounds incredible. I think it's just because, like, the, the melodies of the songs are very, like, I don't know, like, very staccato, where it really lends to, like, the Japanese language cadence very, very well. Like, da 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 Like, it, it sounds very good in Japanese. I don't know. I really love... This is Halloween in Japanese. Oh, yeah. I did also find... That's the, <laughs> that's it, where I got that. That works <laughs> super well as well. Again, because it's a kooky song, and so it just sounds like it's from, like, a weird anime show. Except for that one section where he says, like, under your bed, when he's, like, under your bed, and, like, I am the shadow on the moon at night, filling your dreams with, to the brim with fright. But then he, like, the, in Japanese, it goes on a bit too long. <laughs> yeah. And so it's just like... He's talking too fast. He's like, like, and it's like, ah, oh, okay. I like the one part where it's like they couldn't even come up with a translation and so they just go like, Numa Numa. Numa Numa. Oh, man, we haven't, we're talking a lot about other movies. I feel like I have to play a part of that on the podcast. <laughs> um, well, give me more fun facts. No, those, those are the only, I mean, I, I said a lot of them during the actual, the recap, All but right, those are my, my finish, finishing fun facts. All right, let's do them final impressions. Loved it. Loved it so much, as we said. Might be in, like, top... I don't know. Maybe maybe top 20 movies of all time for me. Definitely top 10 Disney. Mm-hmm. Like, 10 out of 10 would watch again. Yeah. What are we watching next? What are we watching next time? We are watching... Oh, we're watching Aladdin! Yeah. We might have a special guest. We we're might. unsure. <laughs> we'll see. If schedules permit, we may have a special guest who will give us a special insight into... The live stage show of Aladdin. We shall see. But we'll see. On that note. On that note, cheers. Cheers. <laughs>